This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining. We have a lot to jump into in this episode. As always, we have a lot of news to get to. The big news is that Apple had their yearly Worldwide Developer Conference, WWDC. This is where Apple talks mostly about their software, all the different little improvements they're doing, all the features they're doing. And what I saw when I watched this, it was a very long video. It's over an hour long. And what I saw was the ever-growing moat of Apple, the ever-growing walled garden. More and more features that make it even harder, even more difficult to escape the Apple ecosystem. So after watching this, I decided to do something. I decided to sell $10,000 of a holding that I have called Jeppy. This is a low volatility income fund. It's nothing too special. It just provides constant income every month. I sold $10,000 of this and I moved that capital into Apple. So I increased my stake in Apple by an additional $10,000, making it roughly 16% of my overall portfolio value. So the current value is $42,000. I have about $6,700 in gains. And in my opinion, I think Apple's cheap. I'm going to say that again right here. I think Apple is a cheap stock, and I'm going to explain why I think it's cheap in this episode. I'm going to give my reaction to the WWDC this year, the features that they're expanding, and the grasp that Apple has over this market. So we'll be going over all of that in this episode. Now, of course, there's some other news I want to mention. Jeff Bezos is going to space. And I mean, come on, we have to talk about this. Jeff Bezos is literally going to space with the company that he owns. That's pretty cool. We'll be looking at that later in this episode. So we have a lot to get into, a lot of topics to cover. And as always, if you want to help me out and help out this video, you can smash the like button. That does help the YouTube algorithm. So let's go ahead and jump right in. This is my passive income account. I've had this account since the beginning of 2018. The very tail end of 2017 is when I started it. And the goal of this portfolio was to grow a stream of passive income through investing in dividend growth companies. Companies that have consistently paid dividends, they've raised them over time, and I think that they're blue chip, high cash flow, reliable companies. That's been the core of this portfolio. The strategy has changed a little bit over time. I started out focusing on the yield of the company, not focusing so much on the balance sheet or the strength of the underlying business, but more on the cash flow that it's generated. Over time, I've adapted the strategy to focus less on the current yield and more on the underlying strength, the balance sheet, and the quality of cash flow the company provides. To summarize, I've been focusing on companies that I consider to be high quality. Companies like Apple. I think Apple is probably the highest quality company in the world. Warren Buffett himself has referred to Apple as probably the best company in the world. And we can add them through marketable securities. I mean, we own five and a half or a little over percent of Apple. It's probably the best business I know in the world. That's the best investor in the world saying that Apple's probably the best company in the world. Then we have J.P. Morgan Chase, my next biggest holding. The reason that this holding's so big is because it's grown so big through capital gains and dividends. I'm up nearly $9,000 in this holding. I'm currently up 48% on it. That's a pretty substantial gain, and that's not counting dividends. J.P. Morgan Chase is a big dividend pair. So I think that J.P. Morgan Chase is the best bank in the world. Then we have Disney, another example of a high-quality company. Disney owns assets like Lucasfilm, like Marvel, that can't be replaced overnight. 
You're never going to have a company come up with a new Marvel universe in a couple years. It just won't happen. The type of assets that Disney own take a generation to create. So Disney has high quality intellectual property that nobody else can replace. These are the type of companies that I'm trying to make the core of my portfolio. High quality productive assets that are unlike any other company. And this purchase of Apple today with the 10,000 was at a price of 125. So my average share price right now is 107. It used to be $90 a share. It went up to 107. So I am increasing my average cost basis of Apple, but I'm okay doing that because like I've said before, I actually believe that Apple is cheap right now. And I know a lot of people think I'm crazy saying that the biggest company in the world is cheap, but I think that's the case right now. Everything that I've considered with Apple, I still believe that this company, relatively speaking, is a cheap stock. Now, Apple today had their worldwide developer conference. This is where they announce a bunch of new features and things that their users can get excited about. But I think this is really important for Apple investors to pay attention to because this has big implications on Apple as an investment. This shows the ever-growing moat the ever-growing strength of their ecosystem, and the walled garden. The walls just get a little bit higher every time Apple has these new features that they're releasing. So let's go ahead and go to the whiteboard here, and I'll outline some of the key takeaways that I had after watching this Worldwide Developer Conference. The first thing that Apple mentions is big changes to FaceTime. And it's very clear what company Apple is going for, what market they're wanting. It's a little company called Zoom. They start off here by showing some features that users of Zoom will be very familiar with. When you wanna see every face in the room, you can now turn on grid view, giving you another way to view your group FaceTime calls. Here you see people in the same size tiles and you'll be able to clearly identify who's speaking while seeing everyone else's reactions. And to make your FaceTime video capture more beautiful than ever, we're introducing portrait mode, where we've taken inspiration from iPhone's stunning portrait photos. In FaceTime, portrait mode blurs the background and naturally puts the focus on you. So they've added in grid view, just like Zoom and portrait mode, which I think is a unique feature to Apple, where it, it does a nice blurred background for you. Something cool that they added in. This makes FaceTime a little bit better. These are the incremental changes that users are looking for. Then they add in a new feature, which again is very familiar if you're a Zoom user. To help you schedule your FaceTime calls, we've created FaceTime links. Now you can generate a link for a FaceTime call and share it anywhere. It's a terrific way to plan ahead for a call. You can send the FaceTime link in places like messages, email, WhatsApp, or jump into calendar and make an event for your FaceTime call so everyone will know exactly where to meet and when. And it's not just Apple devices that can use a FaceTime link to join your call. Your friends with Android and Windows devices can use your FaceTime link to join the call right from their browser. And even on the web, FaceTime calls are still end-to-end encrypted so your privacy is never compromised. This is another feature that Zoom users are very familiar with, sharing the links and then having a meeting set up and having people on any different device join in. Well, Apple is now doing basically the same thing. You can share the link, you can have other people join in, even people that aren't iOS users. But this still will give incentive to be an iOS user because I guarantee you that these FaceTime calls work a little bit better if you're an iOS user. So that's the first thing that stuck out to me, is Apple's taken basically everything that Zoom's done, they've improved on a few features, and they've added it into their ecosystem, and they made it available to people outside of their ecosystem to make it more widely used. This is something that I see Apple wanting to destroy Zoom. 
Now, do I think that if you're a Zoom shareholder, you need to run out and sell your shares? I don't think so. I don't think that Apple's going to destroy Zoom, but it's very clear that they're pushing hard into this market. Now, the next big thing that I noticed is that Apple wants to destroy Spotify. If you've been following Apple or Spotify for any amount of time, you know that these two companies are big competitors with each other. They're butting heads all the time. Apple has Apple Music. Spotify, of course, is the leading leading music platform in the world, and they're big competitors. Apple uses its ecosystem to its advantage, and in this developer conference, they showed new features that show the strength of their ecosystem and how they're further using that to their advantage against Spotify. They give an example of how they're further integrating Apple Music into iMessage and FaceTime. We love enjoying shared experiences, and so we built SharePlay. Let me show you how this works, starting with listening together. Say you're hanging out on a FaceTime, talking about a new album that came out over the weekend. With SharePlay, you could bring that album right into the conversation. Now, I can't play the music because obviously it's copyrighted, but it shows how they're they're using Apple Music and then they're on the FaceTime call and it has a little button to share it with them. They can hit the button and now it's playing on both of your phones and you're both listening to that song together while being on a call together. That's how they implemented it with Apple Music and this new SharePlay feature. Now, does SharePlay work with Spotify? Well, we don't really know. They don't mention if it works with Spotify at all. The only thing we know it works with for sure is Apple Music. And even if it does end up working with Spotify, is it going to be as seamless? Is it going to be as good of an experience as with Apple Music? The answer is probably not. In my opinion, Spotify is a better platform than Apple Music. But even so, Apple has the advantage because they keep leveraging their ecosystem and their devices to give their applications a significant user experience advantage over the competition. So Spotify is fighting a Goliath with Apple here. They're fighting a much bigger competitor that has significant advantage, and Spotify has to be vastly superior in order to keep their users, in order for them to not join Apple and have that seamless integration with the rest of their devices. The next big thing that I saw is that Apple clearly wants to, they want to beat out Facebook and Google, and I would even include Amazon with privacy. This is something that Apple clearly wants to be a champion of, user privacy. And they continue to beat this drum over and over again because they know it's a winning argument. They know it's a winning argument in front of Congress and with their customers. So Apple emphasizes and they find ways to add in user privacy in every update that they do. And the ones they added in in this last update were very interesting. For instance, the first thing that they mention is changes to iCloud called iCloud Plus. And it works similar, at least it seems similar to a VPN, where it hides your IP address and your information from the websites that you visit. On any given day, we all use a variety of networks to browse the web. From the internet in our own homes to public Wi-Fi on the go. And behind the scenes, network providers and websites can combine your identity and browsing history into a detailed profile about you. So now, in addition to everything Safari does to protect you online, we are introducing a new service called Private Relay. It lets you browse with Safari in an even more secure and private way. And the way it works is really cool. It ensures that the traffic leaving your device is encrypted, so no one can intercept and read it. Then all of your requests are sent through two separate internet relays. It's designed so that no one, including Apple, can see both who you are and what sites you're visiting. 
And it does all this without compromising performance. To me, that sounds just like a VPN, right? You hear all the advertisements from different podcasters to sign up for NordVPN or whatever VPN service. Well, Apple seems to be taking over that market as well. Now they have a VPN-like service that hides users' information from the websites that they visit. And this is at no additional cost to the core offering of iCloud. The other privacy updates that they mentioned center around your email. With Hide My Email, you can share a unique, random address that forwards messages to your personal inbox. And it's built right into Mail, Safari, and iCloud settings. So it's easy to set up as many addresses as you need and delete them at any time, keeping you in control. This seems like a minor feature, but it might help avoid email spam. They're also launching another privacy feature through Apple Mail, and this one helps prevent your mail from being tracked. A lot of you might not realize, but if you open up a newsletter or any type of marketing campaign from an email, they know whether or not you open that email. They're able to track that, and Apple doesn't think that's right. So they're making it so no longer can the marketers and advertisers track you through your mail. If you're like me, you get a lot of marketing emails like this. What you may not realize is that many of these emails use invisible pixels to collect information about your mail activity, like when you open a message and even your IP address. We think you should be able to choose whether to allow this or not. So now in the Mail app, we're introducing Mail Privacy Protection. So there you have another new privacy feature. They have one for Apple Safari, the browser, they have one for iCloud, and now they have one for Apple Mail. They're pushing more privacy features to every part of their business. This is an ongoing theme for Apple. They're becoming the champion of user privacy. So, so far, we know Apple's making big improvements to FaceTime. They want to compete with Zoom and maybe Microsoft Teams. Now they have a comparable service. They're also using their ecosystem to further leverage Apple Music against Spotify. Apple's definitely going even further into privacy, competing with Facebook and Google, trying to win over people and paint Facebook and Google as being the bad guy. But Apple's not stopping there. They want to take over the browser market. This is something that Google specifically should be a little bit concerned about. As Apple is pushing into the browser market, I think very aggressively. They did another redesign to Safari, and I think it looks really good. We think using the browser should feel natural and uncluttered. So we've reimagined the browsing experience. We distilled the toolbar to its essential elements. Tabs are more compact, modern, and lightweight. And there's a completely new way to use tabs with tab groups. They allow you to easily save and manage your tabs without cluttering up your tab bar. It's a subtle change, but I think the redesign looks really good. They have little icons for the tabs now. They have tab grouping, and they go on to explain all the different features with Safari, how now everything is synced across all devices. So if you open or close tabs, they'll be open and closed on your your phone or your computer or all your different iDevices. So I think Apple really is pushing hard with Safari, and I wouldn't be surprised if they start taking market share from Google. Now, outside of the browser market, which Google has a majority of, Apple's also going after Google with Apple Maps. They're going more aggressively with their map updates, and it's starting to look pretty good. The new update of Apple Maps looks really detailed. It's almost like 3D modelings of the different buildings and cities that you're driving around. It looks similar to something from... Uh, like an Xbox game or something, right? If you're you're traveling around a different city, it looks like 3D models of all the buildings. Now, Apple Maps has historically been a worse service than Google Maps. It has not been as good, but they're making a lot of changes and additions, and I think the gap between the two is closing. I think that Apple is catching up to Google with Google Maps, and I think over time that gap is going to get smaller and smaller, and users will eventually prefer the default on their device, which of course is not going to be Google Maps on an iPhone. 
Now, that's the last big thing that I wanted to highlight is Apple is competing with Google on multiple fronts in the browser market and with Maps. Now, there's a lot more that Apple released in this in this developer conference. They have things like Apple Wallet, being able to keep your driver's license, a bunch of different things with Apple Health, Apple Fitness, the Apple Watch, how it integrates and you can keep track of family members and so on and so forth. I can't get to every single feature that they announced. It was almost a two hour long conference. So you'll have to watch the whole thing if you wanna see everything that they're doing. But my takeaway from this is a reaffirmation that Apple is an undervalued company right now. That's my takeaway. I think that Apple is an undervalued company. Because Apple is such a massive company and it has a $2 trillion market cap, people think that there's not much room to grow for this company. It must be its max size. It's already so massive. Does it really have room to expand from here? Apple is a growing company and it's growing steadily. In 2011, Apple had a revenue of just above $100 billion. Fast forward to 2020 and the revenue was $274 billion. They're growing their top line revenue. They're growing their company every single year. Some years it has slight declines as they go through different phone cycles, but overall the trend is very clear. Apple is a growing company. You can compare this to other cash cows, other big brand names of big companies we're familiar with, like Coca-Cola, like Pepsi, like Kimberly Clark, like Clorox. All these companies have flattish revenues. In some cases, they're even declining in their revenue. For instance, here's the revenue line over the past decade for Coca-Cola. In 2011, it had $46 billion in revenue. And then in 2020, it had $33 billion. That's a substantial decline. Now, I know in 2020, restaurants were closed. So that was a unique event that negatively affected their revenue. But look at 2019. There's no pandemic in 2019, and they still only revenued $37 billion, a steady decline over the past decade. Coca-Cola, like these other cash cow companies, has a flat or even shrinking revenue, yet it demands a higher multiple than Apple. And I know the arguments. People say you can't compare Coca-Cola to Apple. Well, I think you can. I think that Apple has a bigger moat than Coca-Cola. I think it's more difficult to compete with Apple than it is to compete with Coca-Cola. I believe that Apple has one of the biggest moats in the entire equity markets. I think it's one of the most difficult companies to compete with. And this isn't something that's shared. Analysts do not believe that Apple has a huge moat. In fact, Morningstar and the professional analysts at this firm believe that Apple has a narrow moat, meaning a small moat. If they give you a wide moat rating, that means that the company has a big moat. They give Apple a narrow moat, which is a small moat rating. I completely disagree with this, but let's go ahead and look at their reasoning for giving Apple a narrow moat. They say that the active install base for Apple devices reached 1.5 billion at the end of 2019, up from 1.4 billion the year prior, showing the strong stickiness Apple has created. However, these switching costs are not insurmountable. Illustrated by the rise and fall of the former mobile device titans, such as Nokia, Motorola, and BlackBerry. So Morningstar is, they're really going to do this. They're really going to compare Apple to Nokia, Motorola, and BlackBerry and say that Apple is, they're facing the same type of challenges that those companies faced. They say all of which failed to keep up with smartphone innovation. Apple's not immune to these pitfalls as consumer sentiment for technology gadgets can be unforgiving, with one buggy or subpar product potentially driving customers to other companies' offerings, which have been increasingly competitive. That's the reason that they believe Apple has a narrow moat. I completely disagree with this. Apple is not Nokia, they're not Motorola, and they're not BlackBerry. They're not anything like those companies were. 
I don't think that Apple today has anywhere the same risks that Nokia had or Motorola or BlackBerry. They're just not the same companies. When you bought a BlackBerry phone or a Nokia phone, you weren't buying into a whole ecosystem of products and services that wrap you into that company. You were just buying a phone. That was the only thing that you were buying. If Apple only had the iPhone and that was it, that was the extent of their services and products, then they probably wouldn't have that significant of a moat. But Apple has the AirPods. A lot of iPhone users have the AirPods. Apple has the iPad. You buy one of these and all your notes sync. The whole iOS is shared. You have the same app store. You have the same browser tabs. Everything's synced together with the same account. This further locks you into their ecosystem. Of course, you can buy the iMac or the MacBook Pro. And again, you're further entangling yourself into this ecosystem. Comparing this to Nokia or Motorola, where all they did was sell a single device without any type of ecosystem and any type of software, I think is a very poor comparison. Apple has by far the strongest ecosystem. You can compare it to Android. If you buy an Android phone, you're picking between the Pixel, the OnePlus, the Samsung, or a variety of different phones. There's all sorts of different Android phones. Then if you buy the Android Watch, it's not like Apple where you're buying the Apple Watch. You might buy something completely different, like a Garmin watch. And then with AirPhones, you have a huge variety with Android. It's not really consolidated like with Apple and the AirPods. You have a bunch of different popular ones like Amazon Echo Buds, the Samsung Galaxy Bud, or a variety of different ones you can choose from. And then as far as computers go, people aren't going to pick an Android computer. They pick Windows. So Android has a different ecosystem than Apple. It's a much more fragmented ecosystem where you're getting a variety of different devices and it doesn't lock you down to one brand like Apple does. Apple's ecosystem locks you down to their brand because of how seamless they've made their components work together. Even Morningstar themselves, in their write-up on Apple, they highlight how Apple consumers, most of them, aren't even considering switching to Android. It's not even a thought in their mind. They say recent survey data shows that iPhone customers are not even contemplating brands today. They're not even contemplating it. In a December 2018 survey, 90% of US-based iPhone users said they plan to remain loyal to future Apple devices. A recent survey, as of October 2020, indicated iPhone user satisfaction of 98%. So they have 90% of US-based iPhone users saying they're going to remain loyal to Apple, and then a more updated one says 98% satisfaction rate. So the vast majority of Apple customers aren't even considering leaving. So in my opinion, I would not assign Apple a narrow moat. I think that they have an incredibly wide moat, and I think that it's just a wrong comparison to compare them to Nokia or Motorola or BlackBerry. They're not anything like those companies. Those companies had no ecosystem even close to Apple's. Now, outside of the growing moat of Apple, we also have another aspect of this company that continues to grow steadily, and that is their service business. We're looking at their revenue year by year. This is the revenue growth broken down into different segments, and if we cross out everything, the iPhone sales, the iPad, the Mac sales, and other, and we just leave the services in, this is the revenue growth of it. If you calculate this, this is over 10% per year since 2012. They're growing their services incredibly fast. Apple has over 660 million subscriptions, and they continue to grow that by tens of millions every single quarter. This is a business with a highly reliable income stream that continues to grow through subscriptions, and these subscriptions are very lucrative. They have a gross margin of about 60 to 70%. So here's the final summary. Here's the breakdown of why I'm buying so much Apple stock. I currently have it at 16% of my portfolio, and it may move up to 20%. That's how much I believe in this company. Apple has an incredible balance sheet. 
Not many companies have in excess of $100 billion in cash, and they generate so much cash every year, so much net income. They are a high margin business, high returns on invested capital. They do share buybacks. They do share buybacks like crazy, which means if you buy the company today, in five years, you're likely going to own more of it, even if you don't buy any more of it. Even if you don't invest the dividends back into it, just because they do so much in share buybacks, they're increasing the equity stake that their shareholders have. They're also doing dividends. Apple has a lower starting yield, but they've been paying dividends for the past 10 years, and they've been increasing the amount that they pay every single year. That's a good sign for dividend paying companies. Not only that, but as they've been increasing the amount that they're paying in dividends, their payout ratio is getting smaller because their earnings is growing faster than their payout in dividends. This is the best sign you can have for a dividend paying company. It means that the dividend is becoming more protected as time goes on because the company's earnings are going up so much. They have an expanding moat. I think the Apple's moat is incredibly big right now. It continues to grow. They have expanding high margin subscription income providing stable income, and they're trading at a 23 PE ratio, which is about the average of the S&P 500, which means that they're just trading like any average company in the S&P 500. And obviously I think Apple is a way above average company. So that's it. That's why I'm buying more Apple and we'll see what happens. Maybe Apple does trade down 10 or 20%. There's some short-term technical analysis that says it might go under its 200 day moving average for a while. That's fine. If Apple goes down 10 or 20%, that's not gonna cause me to panic. I think that at its current price, it's a pretty good deal. And I think if it drops 10 or 20%, it'll be a complete still. So I'll likely increase my position size in it. But I think over time, over the next couple years, this will be a good time to buy the stock. That's my prediction. Now, moving on from Apple, switching gears here a little bit, we have to talk about this news. Jeff Bezos has decided he's going to space. And that's just a decision he made. And when you're Jeff Bezos, when you're Jeff Bezos, you can make these decisions and they just happen. Whatever you want, if you say, I want something, and I'm Jeff Bezos, it just happens, no matter really what it is. If it's anything that can be purchased, which going to space certainly can be, you have it. When your net worth is $186 billion, you can get whatever you want. If that's buying a grocer like Whole Foods, you can do that. That's not that difficult. If it's buying a $500 million super yacht that's so big that it actually needs its own yacht, you can do that because you're Jeff Bezos. Well, now Jeff Bezos has decided that he wants to literally become a meme or an emoji and be a rocket that's shooting out to space. And luckily he owns a company, one of the hundred companies that he owns, that can do just that. It can bring him to space. So here's a little theatrical trailer, I guess, of Jeff Bezos getting ready to go to space. You see the earth from space, it changes you. It changes your relationship with this planet, with humanity. It's one earth. I wanted to go on this flight because it's a thing I've wanted to do all my life. It's an adventure. It's a big deal for me. I invited my brother to come on this first flight because we're closest friends. I really want you to come with me. Would you? Are you serious? I am. I think it would be meaningful. Have my brother there. I wasn't even expecting him to say that he was going to be on the first flight. And then when he asked me to go along, I was just... Awestruck. Seriously? If you're willing, if you want to. Yeah. What a remarkable opportunity, not only to have this adventure, but to be able to do it with uh, my best friend. I love you. I love you too. (laughs) So there you have the little uh, 
trailer, the little movie trailer with Jeff Bezos and apparently his brother both flying to space together. But that's not the most crazy part about this. The crazy thing about this story is that this is the first time it's going to have real people in this spacecraft, and that's the one that Jeff Bezos is flying on. It says that in the Instagram post Monday that he'll be one of the inaugural passengers on Blue Origin's new Shepard spacecraft during its first crewed flight scheduled for launch from West Texas on July 20th. Mr. Bezos, 57 years old, said that his brother, Mark Bezos, will also be on board. So this is the inaugural passenger flight from Blue Origin. That's a lot of confidence you have to have to be the very first one to go on this flight. I didn't really expect that. I thought he would have some random volunteers maybe go on it, send them up, see what happens. And then if it goes well, he could jump on the next flight. But he apparently does not want to wait in line. He's very trusting of the engineers and the people behind this. He wants to fly first with his brother. So the richest man in the world and his brother are flying out to space together in an aircraft where it's the first time of having any live passengers. A little bit more daring than maybe what I would do. I might wait on that a little bit, but... He obviously has a lot of confidence in his crew and his company and in the engineers doing this. So hopefully it works out well for him. But that's all for today. I hope you all enjoyed the show. If you want to, you can check out the Patreon. It's in the description or it's patreon.com slash Joseph Carlson. And I just posted a 45 minute exclusive episode. I got a lot of good feedback about that one. So if you want to see more content, you can consider joining that. You get a free trial when you join. Otherwise, I'll see you in the next episode.